We continue our series on faith with a question posed by someone in our congregation. Many of you know at the end of each preaching year, I ask for your suggestions. One of them was this, how do we make our faith a priority? Last week, we saw how faith is not just something we believe in our head or an action that we take, even if it's a good one to help other people. Faith is all of this and more. It's about the call of God on our lives and trusting that God will come through even when it looks impossible. So now we move from understanding what faith is to prioritizing it in our lives. How important is it and how do we keep it in its proper place? Let's read our scripture for today. It comes from the Gospel of Mark and takes place just after the transfiguration where Jesus shines like the stars. And then this happens. Hear now God's word. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw Jesus, they were immediately overcome with awe and they ran forward to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak, and whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and it fo he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. He answered them, You faithless generation, how much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately it threw the boy into convulsions, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he was able to stand. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, This kind can come out only through prayer. And from Romans 14, verse 1, welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. If you grew up in the late 80s and early 90s like I did, there is one phrase that will stick out above the rest. Be like Mike. Despite how popular the name was then, no one had to ask who Mike was. Of course, it was Michael Jordan, perhaps the greatest basketball player the world had ever seen. ESPN is in the middle of releasing its 10-part miniseries on Jordan called The Last Dance. It gives a behind-the-scenes look at the Chicago Bulls dynasty. Most folks will remember the Bulls' double three-peat 
how they won three championships in a row, two different times. It'll probably never happen again. But I've learned something about the legacy of not just the Bulls, but of Michael Jordan himself. See, before that first championship, Jordan was known for his scoring titles. He scored over 3,000 points in a single season and had five straight years of the most points of any player on the planet. Yet his team could not win the championship. They were swept twice by Isaiah Thomas and the Detroit Pistons in the semifinals. Sure, Jordan could score points, but he wasn't considered elite because he couldn't win the championships. That all changed in the spring of 1991 when the Bulls won their first. But what happened? How did they go from getting swept in the playoffs to utterly dominating the competition? The answer, I think, is a beautiful parallel for how we can prioritize our faith. So we'll come back to the story of Michael Jordan and the Bulls in a moment. But I'm guessing the person who asked about prioritizing faith is not alone. We all feel at times that maybe we don't have what it takes or we can't get past a certain hurdle. Maybe we know in our minds what we're supposed to do, but we just can't seem to motivate ourselves. Why is it when we believe something is so important, we still can't bring ourselves to do the right thing? Many of us know how important our religious beliefs are. It is central to our identity and ought to be the first thing we think about when we are making decisions about what to do or how to live our lives. But too often, the culture around us pulls us in another direction. We watch TV or shop online instead of helping our neighbor or volunteering in the church. For some folks, you have very legitimate things holding you back. Health problems slow you down. Taking care of the kids is more than a full-time job, especially during a pandemic. I was in a seminar this week about how grief from a loss of identity or the environment around us changing has the exact same kind of effect as the death of a loved one. It all leads to grief. We lament and mourn, and it takes energy away. How can we overcome this and live the life we want to lead? In essence, how do we be like Mike, winning championships in life year after year, despite any setbacks that may come our way? Now, I don't think there's some kind of magic answer, but I do see a very powerful factor in the story of Jordan and the Bulls. So how did they do it? How did they go from losing uh, as a team with a scoring leader to a team that literally nobody could beat? The answer isn't with Jordan, at least not with what he did on the court. After getting beat two seasons in a row by the Pistons, Jordan decided to bulk up. He focused on lifting weights in the offseason. He also realized that winning wasn't about his own skills. It was about all the skills of his team. 1990 is when Jordan started centering in on his teammates. It was the year of the rise of Scottie Pippen. Pippen was known as a very skillful player, but he lacked the killer drive that Jordan had. So Jordan was his motivation. Jordan became more of a player coach, teaching Pippen and the others, as well as inspiring the team. Everyone on the team got better. That year, they were first in the conference and only lost two playoff games. 
Jordan was again the scoring leader, but Scottie Pippen, he was selected for the NBA's all-defensive team. See, a team doesn't win with just one person. They must work together. There's no I in team, right? This is very similar to what uh, is happening in Mark chapter 9. When Jesus comes down from the mountain like Moses, the disciples have messed things up. Someone wanted their boy to be healed, but the disciples couldn't do it. They are weak. Their leader was up the mountain, so they were helpless. And Jesus, he actually sounds pretty angry here when he comes down. He says, you faithless generation, how much longer must I put up with you? He's talking to the disciples here because they are supposed to be mimicking Jesus, able to do the same things that he can do. Three chapters earlier, Jesus had sent them out two by two with authority over unclean spirits, and they succeeded. Why didn't it work here? Why couldn't they get past, uh, couldn't cast out this demon? In ancient times, most exorcists would invoke a higher spirit. They'd use smelly plants or even inflict pain. That's how they would control the spirit. Jesus just commands the spirit to leave. That's it. And it's gone. It's very different from what others would have done. And then the disciples come to Jesus afterward and they ask, how come we couldn't do that? Why don't we have the same kind of spiritual power that you do? And Jesus says, this kind can only come out through prayer and fasting. Jesus is literally teaching the tools of spiritual power. He's saying, look, you want to win championships? You want to overcome evil in this world? You, you want to make a difference in your community, in your family, in your own life? Here's how you do it. Pray and fast. This is the tool that gets you where you want to go. If you have overwhelming circumstances in your life, pray and fast. If you have a loved one that seems lost, pray and fast. If you can't seem to put your faith in its proper place, if you keep getting beat by the enemy, beat by health problems, beat by the world, pray and fast. That's a key way to build your spiritual muscle. But don't miss the other thing that's going on here. These disciples are not alone in the task. The burden of these troubles is not on each one individually. They have each other. They have Jesus to keep them motivated and moving toward the goal. When I was little, my parents would gather our family together every morning for prayer and devotions. I still wish it was the last thing we did in the day, not the very first thing early in the morning, but my parents kept me moving in the right direction. Several years ago, I noticed I didn't have that same dedicated time of prayer. Sure, I would pray in meetings, pray with a person who was sick, or pray at mealtimes, but I didn't have that time of deep connection with God. Then came our Tuesday at noon prayer group. One other faithful Christians said, hey, we need to pray. We need to make this a priority. And almost every week, I have a time to pray and be encouraged by others. I probably wouldn't pray nearly as much if it weren't for this group. They help me uh, make it happen in my life. They keep me going when I don't feel like it. 
So if you want to prioritize your faith as it should be, you need to grow spiritually, and you need people to help you to grow. It's just like the other groups that usually meet in our church. Our choir members are good singers because they practice every week and they keep each other accountable. Our AA group uses sponsors to keep people on the straight and narrow when it comes to alcohol. Uh, OA works in a similar way around food. Boy Scouts remind our young people to love and respect nature and each other. Our Bible studies help us fall in love with God's word. It's the same system. Build yourself up to be ready for the tough times by connecting with a group of people that will keep you moving in the right direction. I know this is tough to do in the midst of a pandemic. People are starting to feel pretty isolated, and some are really starting to struggle. Reach out. You are not alone. Turn to that person that can keep you motivated. It doesn't matter if it's a professional or a friend, someone that uh, you may pay like a counselor or a spiritual director, whatever. Keep connected to grow and keep your faith strong. If you're looking for a group, we've got one for you. So reach out to us. Let me end with this. Uh, Yuri Belenko parachutes for fun. One day, jumping out of a plane, his parachute malfunctioned, so he released his backup chute. Then that one got wrapped around the first, so he's plummeting full speed to the ground. What does he do? He shouts out to his teammates around him. They see what's happening, so they quickly descend and grab a packing mat. They pull it tight, and Yuri smashes into it at bone-crushing speed, ripping it in half. How'd he fare? He had a sprained ankle and a few bruises. That's what teammates do for us. They save us when we can't save ourselves. So let faith take its rightful place in your life. Surround yourself with a group of people that will keep you moving in the right direction. There's no magic bullet. There's no secret to success. Deep faith that carries us in the toughest situations comes with hard work and a team to support you. Uh, we, can, we can be like Jesus by learning from the faith of our brothers and sisters. Amen? Amen.